2: Hello and welcome to The Stream with Tim Scannell from Hightower Great Lakes. Good morning, Tim. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm super excited.
2: Excellent. <laughs> uh, you have a special guest on the show, and this has uh, been much anticipated uh, by me and every other listener, I'm sure. Who's your guest today, Tim?
1: Well, it's my best guest ever. Mm-hmm. My favorite person ever. It's my wonderful wife, Nancy.
2: Awesome. And this is a part 2 of a two-part series. Uh, you guys are talking about retirement, correct?
1: Yeah, so in the first part we talked about as a result of COVID, a number of people are retiring either by choice or, you know, just because it's forced on them. And we went through a whole checklist of things you need to consider, you know, coming up with an income plan and a tax planning and looking at your debt and, you know, reevaluating your state plan. So we kind of went through the whole checklist of what to do financially. But what I wanted to do today was talk about really the emotional side or the, what I call the parallel path. You know, I talk to a lot of clients about focusing on a parallel path while they're working so that when they get off this one escalator, they can just get right onto the other. Mm -hmm. And that's the more psychological, emotional piece. So I brought on my special guest today, Nancy, because she's been working through that process. And I just thought it would be a really good example to talk about some of the things.
2: All right. I'm so excited. Nancy, thank you so much for being on the show. I I finally get to meet you after all this time.
3: Well, I've gotten to know your voice very well, Eric. So it's nice (laughs) to talk to you too.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I'm going to let you guys go for it because this is a conversation that uh, I'm sure that you've talked about in private before, but now you're going to share this with our audience a bit and uh, your experiences. So thank you so much. I'm ready to listen.
1: Since it's been COVID, we haven't spent enough time together, right? (laughs) So I thought we would do this podcast, but... All joking aside, so I talk to clients often about making work optional trying to get to that point where work is optional, where they can step aside and do different things when they're ready to do it. Let me just start with you, if you don't mind, and tell the audience. Like, what were you doing at Valparaiso University? What were you doing prior to kind of separating and and going on this venture you're on now?
3: Well, I started out teaching at Valpo at about maybe almost 20 years ago. And prior to that, I was at what was Purdue North Central, which is now Purdue Northwest. And part of that, I was at Ivy Tech. So it's been a long time of teaching, but for 10 and a half years, I was an assistant dean at Valparaiso University.
1: Okay. And you talked a little bit just now about how you got there, but if you don't mind talking about maybe your thought process and how you were looking to challenge your mind or maybe adding back or how like the movement you made from Ivy Tech up to VU fit your goals that you had, your personal goals?
3: Well, that's really interesting, Tim, because <laughs> my whole journey was completely random and as a result of really just spontaneous interactions. Kevin was born, our fifth child was born in March of 1997. And I don't know if you remember, but we went to a Trade Tradewinds fundraiser and you, you were seated next to the dean of Ivy Tech. Our fifth baby was four weeks old. And by the end of the dinner, she asked me, please, please, to send my resume. Because you happened to jokingly say, you don't need an English teacher, do you? So that's how that started. And I remember thinking it was a pain in the neck to create my resume because I hadn't done it in a while because of all the kids. Anyway, that's how I ended up at Ivy Tech. And then it's a true story. I was at the copier at Ivy Tech, and a fellow teacher said, do you know that Purdue North Central is looking for professors? And I said, no, I did not know that. I ended up applying there, and I taught at both places at the same time. Actually, one semester, I actually taught seven classes. I don't even know what that was like. I remember once forgetting a bag, because I brought the wrong black bag to PNC, and you brought it over for me, because I had all these graded papers, but that was a chaotic, chaotic time of our lives, at the same time, I was coaching, and so the way I ended up at VU was, I was coaching cross country, and one of the St. Paul parents said to me, Nancy, you should teach at VU. And I said, really? And so she gave me the name of John Ruff, and I remember interviewing with him, and I was really nervous. It was in like 2002, and then John hired me, and that's how I ended up at VU. So it wasn't a plotted journey. I'm not so good about that. You're really good about that, Tim. <laughs> I'm just pretty much, I don't know. I just kind of have things happen by default.
1: Well, but I know just from observation and being with you that a lot of it is just the collaboration and you're an external processor and just talking it out. And, you know, you probably went on this journey and you made decisions that you weren't even thinking about. But I guess one thing I'd like to talk about is at VU, I know from going to events, from talking to you and understanding what you're doing there. One of the things I think that is pretty unique is they have a natural cohort. When you go to Valparaiso University or any university, in fact, there's this natural cohort of people that are like you. They think like you. It gives you the ability to talk to people with common goals. It also gives you the ability to challenge your brain. Talk a little bit about what you had there while you were there among your cohort.
3: Oh, it was great. I loved my work there. It started out, I started out teaching the freshman core, the human experience, where it was fantastic. I talked with brilliant scholars about great books and got teaching ideas, and I don't know if you remember, but the kids, the older kids, Katie, Bethy, Brendan, and I think the three oldest pretty much read all the core books, as did you, and we talked about them at dinner. So there was always this great conversation about really good literature and pedagogical approaches to it. There was always this engagement with these fantastic students who were energized and interested and fascinating and brilliant. It was fantastic work. I loved it. It's kind of interesting because uh, the, there was the crash in 2008, and I remember being called into the dean's office in February of 2009, and I thought I was getting the ax because people were. And I don't have a PhD, and there aren't many people at VU who teach without a PhD and I have a master's, and since then I've gotten another one, And but at the time I thought I was getting fired, and the dean asked me if I would be interested in being an assistant dean where I would teach half-time and then serve, serve the students. I kind of saw the assistant dean's office as a ministry to students, and I loved it because I was one meeting with students who that age group is so much fun and they have all kinds of issues that they just need some guidance through which sometimes they just need someone to listen and i was an advocate for them at different committees secondly i got to work with fellow professors who their number one reason for being there was the students besides their scholarly work but number one was absolutely the students it's student-centered universities so There was always this engagement and talking about how to help people succeed. It was a great job.
1: There must have been some point where you thought it was time to move on, right? Because I know you loved it. I know you had the collaboration. You had the engagement with the, the students, with your peers. At what point were you starting to think that you needed to maybe move on and do something different? I know you loved the job, but tell me a little bit about what your thought process was there.
3: I started to think about other opportunities and other ways that I am I might glorify God with my life, to be honest with you. I knew that I loved public speaking because I loved teaching, and I liked when I had the opportunities to talk to prospective families or talk on behalf of the university. I'd had some opportunities to speak at our church that I found really rewarding. And then I also have always been deeply interested in creative nonfiction. I took some classes and I, while I was at Velpo, I also got a second master's degree. I started to think about how I, what I wanted to do with my talents in the future. And the other thing that happened was after about seven years in the assistant dean position, I started to sense that I was getting burned out.
1: Sure. That made you kind of start thinking and planning for the exit. And you definitely were not as random as you thought you were, especially as it relates to that. But what are some of the things you thought would happen as you were planning your exit that maybe hasn't? I mean, part of it is COVID, but talk a little bit about that.
3: Well, one of the things about planning the exit that I found difficult was I like to just do things and get them done, like a getter done. Mm-hmm. The last year in the position, it was I had to be kind of hands off and tried to make it so that the new assistant dean, we had some changeover in the dean's office, but that the new assistant dean then knew what I was doing so that she could then do it. There's this succession transition plan that was in place, and I'll never forget one of um, the administrative assistants coming in to me when I had about two months left and saying, Nancy, are you still doing the work in this office? Mm -hmm. And I was horrified because I said yes, but she just wanted to know if I was going to take a call from a parent or if she should give it to someone else. So what was difficult was the handing off. Yeah. It's hard to kind of give up, and it's so easy to just do it yourself. But I really think that a really good leader leaves, and they're not missed. And believe me, that that's kind of tough, too, when you recognize that everybody's got it all figured out, and they don't need you. I'm like, wait, don't you need me? I, I do once in a while still field questions, mm-hmm. but I... I don't know. Sometimes you think that you're irreplaceable and my gosh, we are, all of us are by somebody else who's got a different perspective and different skills and talents.
1: Sure. So how do you, how have you tried, again, granted, we've been going through COVID, but how do you try to replace that engagement, that challenging of your brain, the, the talking to people that you had just naturally with your work cohorts and your peers?
3: Well, I have, as a result of all the coaching conferences that I've attended, I've got this really wonderful group of leadership coaches that I stay in contact with. In fact, we do some reciprocal coaching with each other. I also pretty much always take a class or two. I'm always taking courses online. It could be through, you know, masterclass.com. And then there's a wonderful organization called Coaches Rising. I just finished a neuroscience of change class a couple of weeks ago that had just these brilliant researchers from around the world. And i love those classes. I might be on with thousands of people from all over the Netherlands, the London. Sometimes I'm in breakout sessions with people from all different corners of the globe. So that's what I do. And there's always readings associated with that. I have notebooks filled and filled and filled and filled with notes, copious notes from all these classes. And I, sometimes I think, my gosh, when the kids find these things, they're going to be like,
1: what was she doing? <laughs> a lot of notes. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I notice you've really jumped right into the world of technology. But do you find that Zoom can't replace being in a room with somebody, right? But... It sounds like you are still making connections.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's really interesting is recently I've picked up the phone to call. Now, what's interesting is we text and say, do you have a few moments to talk as, as a courtesy? Because these days when your phone just rings, you usually think that there's an emergency, right? Because we're so used to having it be where we just text or email or have a scheduled Zoom One of the things I really miss the most, Mm -hmm. I think, is these kind of, I call them spontaneous blips of joy that you have in a community, where you, bad for you, walking across campus or walking down the hall, or somebody says something funny, or going in and out of a meeting, or, because now everything is so structured, but i still find during zoom meetings that you can still have those moments you just have to be present
1: yeah i think that's the challenge i know i've been on a couple hundred zoom meetings now and you just have to stay focused and present just like you would if you were in the room with the with the person you're talking to it's hard
3: yeah i think people are even more sensitive on zoom when when you're not mm-hmm. you can notice anybody because they're right there on the screen it's interesting
1: so let me ask you, you mentioned as you used to, people would pop in your office, you go get coffee, or you're walking across campus and, you know, people need you. People ask you questions. You used to talk a lot about institutional knowledge. You had all this institutional knowledge at VU, and people would ask you, like, where to go, what to do, and you don't have that. I'm wondering, I have this theory that I've been mulling around in my brain, so maybe you could just comment on that meaning in life, is proportional to responsibility, the responsibility you have for people, for things, you know, for projects, et cetera. So what do you you think about that? Because I know you had a lot of responsibility when you are at VU.
3: That's really interesting. I'm a, a fan of Brene Brown's books, and she says that we have to stop hustling for our worth. And I can't begin to tell you how relevant that is to this stage in my life, because I don't think our value is based on what we do. Our value is who we are. I think that stepping away from the position of assistant dean and being, living on the edge where every 15 minute counts and what am I going to do right now and living now where there's some, to put it lightly, much, much deeper reflection. I'm aware of a different kind of, I don't know how to word it, but like, sense of self or inner peace, and, I, and not having to prove yourself, except it, it's an adjustment. Yeah. It's an adjustment period.
1: Post-COVID, painting a picture forward, right? When we can all go out and see people and have people over. What are some things you're anticipating or looking forward to in your journey that you might do next year? <laughs> Hopefully this year, but let's just push it out in the future when things get back to closer to normal.
3: Oh, I really wanna do some public speaking. A couple of years ago, I did a TEDx talk called The Power of the Pause, and I really wanna do, I've been doing much further research on that topic, and I'd love to be able to go into different communities and talk about that, because I think it's part of my vision for how we can better serve the world and the people around us is by being more intentional and mindful and present for others. Because I think it's the best gift you could ever give if someone is the gift of attention.
1: Okay. Well, I always said I would just carry your luggage and drive around the world (laughs) when you're going on your speaking tours. So let's get on it, huh? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Just to kind of wrap it up, if if there was one or two key things you would say to somebody who is maybe considering a transition or maybe a transition has been forced on them. And now they're looking at, you know, work optional. Do I go back to work? Do I do, you know, do I create my own next journey? What do you, what are a couple of things you, you would say beyond the financial part, think about this, think about these things and make sure you've got these things in order.
3: I would say to really think about your own personal vocation and what you think your next calling is, I think that people have all kinds of vocations. They're different, right? One of the things I used to say to students, because I I taught many times, I taught an exploratory studies class for students who had undeclared majors, and I would ask them to ask people, what do you talk about? Lots of times, the things that you talk about a lot are topics that you really care about. Go, Go in that direction. Why is it that I like to talk about health? I like to talk about faith and I like to talk about presence. You like to talk about finances. You like to talk about actually entrepreneurship and small businesses. That's, that's your game of golf. So I think some people are so busy working and working that they don't really know what their game of golf is, except for golf, maybe, right, right. but, and the other thing is to zero in on your values. What do you value most? Most of us say, oh, I value my family. And right now we're really limited, many of us, in how much time we can spend with our families. What's your vision for that for your family?
1: Mm -hmm. And are there processes or books or checklists? Are there things you can recommend people consider as a way to draw some of that out? Because I, I, I talked to four business owners this week who are at some stage of exiting. And I've always say, you know, so what's your next great adventure? And all four this week said, no idea. I'm really struggling to help people think about that next, next great adventure before it's too late, before they just automatically are out of their job and doing something different, right? Are there books, are there things that people can look at, read, learn that might help them?
3: Oh, yeah. I think Richard Leiter's a great author who talks about purpose and meeting. It's interesting you asked that, though, because my leadership coach, I'm not trying to put a plug in for coaching here. This is not self serving on my part at all. But I think that's where a really good coach can help somebody a life coach, a leadership coach. Because I think most people don't even have time to think about what their vision is for their future or if they start to think about it, they don't even know what questions to ask themselves. I think even three months of working with somebody who can help someone discern what really matters and what their visions are would be really, really helpful. I just am a big believer in the miracle of conversation and that we have these aha moments that happen in the processing. And it could be because I'm an external processor, but for the most part, it's in talking about it that you kind of have discovery. Conversation's not about reporting. It's about discovering.
1: Yeah, I know for the past 20 years, I've had one or two coaches. Eric, who's here with us, he's in effect a coach for me too, you know, coaching these podcasting and teaching me the teaching this old dog new tricks. So I agree with completely. Coaching would be a valuable resource.
3: I also think it's fun to dream with friends. Your friends know you really well. So then you start talking about this vision, and I don't know, some people feel vulnerable when they start talking about what they would do beyond their work, because their work has defined them, but it doesn't.
1: Yeah, and a lot of business owners hesitate to talk about it because they don't want a word on the street or something that you know, they might be thinking of exiting, and you know, what will clients and vendors and employees think? So it's often a, a thing that people don't talk about.
3: Oh, I know. That's how it was with my dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My dad never, I think he wanted to consider a succession plan, and then he passed away before it ever happened.
1: Yeah. So just to leave with one good book that somebody should read, maybe on the topic to help them go forward.
3: Essentialism by Greg McEwen. I love that book because it talks about really focusing in on one thing. And I think it would challenge people to really see what that one thing is. And of course, we're not one dimensional. We have all kinds of different interests. I have so many interests that it's actually troublesome, (laughs) but it it depends on who I'm talking to because I'm interested in whomever I'm talking to or whatever the topic is. But essentialism is really, really helpful in helping people to zero in. And it's actually a really, it's not a real complex read.
1: Awesome. Well, Nancy, you've been the best guest ever. I appreciate it. I know when I asked you to do this, I wasn't sure what you thought about it or if you really wanted to do it, but I, I know you add value to the listeners, to my clients, to anyone out there. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
3: Well, thanks for trusting me, Tim. <laughs> and thank you too, Eric.
2: This has been fantastic. Nancy, I, I've got to just recap something that you said because it was it was it just drove right to the heart of me. The miracle of conversation, I think is how you put it. And yeah. it, it was, uh, as you said that, I just reflected back on your story, the miracle of a conversation at a, I believe at a banquet with a four week old baby led you to a whole different plan. The miracle of a conversation at a coffee machine led you to a whole another plan uh, or an addition to the plan that already existed. Right. You know, you, you spoke about coaching, which I firmly agree with because you just begin to have that conversation and people bring things to you that you don't know. You didn't, you didn't hear before. You haven't thought about before the theme throughout this entire podcast. In my mind, what I got from it was Nancy, that you were so receptive to all the external things that could possibly happen. Uh, You had a plan, the things that you were doing, the joy and the, the passion that you had for each part of each job that you did, but you were still open to the idea and thought of what else can I do? And I think that that is the, one of the lessons that I'm taking from this, and I hope our listeners do too, as they think about and enter that transition into retirement or, or transition into exiting a business, just be open, open to the conversations, open to new ideas, open to the thought of what you could possibly give back. And uh, I know that your, your spiritual life is, is paramount and important to you. And I think that that's something that is ingrained in us in, in a way just to be open to those outside things that, that can help us to guide guide our path. So Nancy, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it.
2: You bet. And our last thank you goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Wellstream podcast with Tim Scannell. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below this way. When Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at High Tower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Stream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available, and don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC.